Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge, get a fresh new start. Day Network will bring you there. So let's talk about it when life and on the air. Good morning, everyone. This is Fran Lewis, and it's beautiful outside. The sun is finally shining, and we're going to talk about some very relevant issues. Dennis Palumbo is here. He's a psychotherapist, and we're going to talk about something that a lot of people have been asking about, panic attacks. A panic attack is a sudden episode of intense fear that triggers severe physical reactions where there is no real danger or apparent cause, and they can be very, very frightening, and you feel like you're losing control, but you're not dying. You're going to live if we follow the rules and you figure out how to handle it. So we're going to also talk about his book, Panic Attacks, which was really good. Welcome back, uh, Dennis, and welcome back, Daniel Rinaldi. How you doing? Thank you, Fran. I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how are you doing? We're surviving. <laughs> you know, this, <laughs> Let's this, not this, go there. <laughs> the, the, no, the, this, this helps me a lot, and I just like whatever. But there are a lot of people that have been complaining about my family members and friends and panic attacks and anxiety disorder and stress. So we're going to talk about that also because I think everybody needs to know what to do when they're ready to go punch somebody in the head. And sometimes you just well, feel like yeah, that. Actually, uh, since the, uh, the pandemic, I've seen a yeah. rise not only in anxiety and depression in my yeah. patients, certainly I've seen it, you know, just in material I've been reading, but also a rise mm. in panic attack. And panic attacks are different from what I would yeah. call garden variety anxiety. And we can talk about the various causes of panic attacks, the symptoms yeah. you might, and uh, treatment options. That I'm interested so, in, too. All right. Because well, whatever, however you want to do it. I also appreciate you mentioning my book, uh, Panic Attack, which is uh, the sixth book in the Daniel Rinaldi series, and it just came out. And um, I'm very gratified by uh, people's response to it. So thank you for mentioning it. Yes, well, it is. it happens to be one of my favorites. I got it a few days before, just not too recently, and I just sat down and read it. And it's like, you know, sometimes, like I say, I read the book and I go, like, why am I being tortured? And then I just sat down and read this. So tell us why you decided to focus on panic attacks in Panic Attack. And we'll talk about that, and then we'll talk about the other thing. I have both sets of questions in front of me. Well, whichever you'd like. I wanted, I, I, you know, with each of my novels, one who knows my mm-hmm. Daniel Rinaldi books, I usually take a psychiatric condition like night terrors, mm-hmm. phantom limb and use that as the title of the book, and then deal with that psychological condition against the background of a thriller, of a crime thriller. I did the same thing with this book. I knew and had been reading about, and on my own therapy Mm. practice, rise of panic attacks. So I thought, well, what about a whole city being panicked? You know, I wrote Panic Attack about a sniper Mm -hmm. 
available at random in in Pittsburgh, where my books are set. You know, in the in the one of my one of my heroes' patients suffers from panic attacks. So, unlike most novels, there's actually a takeaway. I mean, if if you do some of the treatments that my hero does to his patient while bullets are flying, uh, it does help alleviate your panic attack. So. Hey, this this was like reading a book about how to survive a panic attack while I was being panicked reading the book. <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, I know. Well, I got panicked reading this book, too. And I ah. said, well, oh, my God. Well, I, I, don't, I, don't get panic, yeah. I don't get panic attacks or anxiety attacks. I get stress. Yeah. And I'm, I blame that on people. <laughs> what can I tell you? Yeah, stress is a kind of overall feeling of urgency. Yeah and overwhelm, which is not exactly the yeah. same as anxiety or a panic attack. I mean, the thing about a, a panic attack that most people who've had them can tell you is a, a, a fear of loss of, of control and, and a sense of impending mm-hmm. doom. In fact, you're, you have such chest pains, most people often think they're having a heart attack. They, they drive themselves to the ER. Uh, and, and because they have them, but additional symptoms can be, you know, range from shaking and chills to abdominal cramps and headaches. Severe version of an anxiety attack. Most people, anxiety, you don't feel like you're going to die. You don't have a sense of impending doom. Mm-hmm. Don't think. So that's a real differential for panic attacks. It's scary. It is scary. I know because my nieces get them and they're on something. They're on Xanax, Xanax and, and and all the rest of that stuff. Not me. It's like you need to just take a deep breath, calm down, and just don't get so crazed. You'll get well, an A next time. So that your mental health is really scary. Yeah, yeah. Simple stress so, and, and depression alone can cause panic attacks because when we're depressed or or, or, or or panicky, or I'm sorry, anxious, if we get yeah. the meaning that, oh, there is something to be upset about, panic attack. See, the, that sense of impending doom mm. aspect of it, you know, dread, and something's going to happen, um, and the loss of control. Like, I'm out of control. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm out of control. I'm not prepared to deal yeah. with it. Those things That's tend horrible. to trigger well, this now, story also, took place. It's a unique story. Took place in a football field, didn't it? In the sports game, right? Yeah, the, my yeah the, the the first murder in my book. Are we talking about my book, or are we talking about the conditions of panic attack? Uh, in my book, um, no, we talk the book uh, the panic attack. College stadium. First murder yeah. of Lucas Hartley. I felt so bad. Because he was in, well, I would have had, I'm surprised that the people that there didn't have a panic attack because he was killed by accident or yeah, something. Yeah, he was killed by accident, as the reader learns. Uh, but, you know, when it comes to real uh, uh, panic attacks, it's also mm. important to remember that for certain people, there are certain triggers, you know, that yeah. might be unique to each person, like a personal issue, like divorce or a job loss can trigger a panic attack. Even troubling external events like bad, you know, scary stories in the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, pandemic itself was has been a real trigger for people uh, to to have panic symptoms. 
it, it's 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 scary because I don't I go out I don't stay home and stuff like that, but I haven't seen anybody, and I'm not afraid to see them. It's just that it's really weird because I'm you know vaccinated and all the rest of that stuff. Not looking forward to the third one, but basically eventually I'll get it when they come out with the Moderna. Um, not so heavy, you know the the one for that's half a half a dose, so I don't get sick <laughs> again, but. I, I've noticed that. I walk into uh, the bakery, I walk into stores in the morning, and people are, like, standoffish. They don't want to come near people. I asked my cousin the other day, I said, I want to see my nieces and my nephews. I said, you go everywhere with your friends. You come have lunch with your friends. I said, and why can't I come see my nieces and nephews when I'm perfectly fine? Oh, you know, someday soon. I, I know something at this point I don't even ask. I just get annoyed. But panic attacks, you know, uh, other kinds of attacks, all of a sudden you could eat something and it bothers you and you think it's, you're, you're getting nervous. You could just look at somebody, could look at you cockeyed and you feel like you're getting nervous. I don't know why. But, the, you know, that, that's some of the things that I'm looking at when I go into the bakery and they say people are like, walk away from you. Well, no one says good morning. No one oh. smiles. No one, no one is nice. I mean, I, I, you know, of course, my niece, I stayed in the car today, so my husband went in to get me my, my prune danish, and the guy said, this, where is she? I need Donald, I need singles. He knows I, I, I just have millions of them. I don't know why. So the first time he said, tell her thank you very much. He saved me from going to the bank. <laughs> so that was my act of kindness for today. So how would they die? How does somebody diagnose? Do they need to go to someone like you to find out? Do they need to go for stress management? How do you know that you're really not losing your mind, but you're having a panic or an anxiety attack? Well, I think certainly can feel it. Nobody having a panic attack uh, doesn't think there's something wrong with them. Like I said, most of the time they think they have, they're having a heart attack, uh, and, and they run to the ER, and the people go, no, no, yeah. no, you're just panic attack. Um, and, and But I think if you're having them a lot, help to mm-hmm. see a therapist because uh, I think a course of psychotherapy is important because it can identify your triggers. You were mentioning what if a person looks at you cross-eyed. There are yeah. people who are by how a stranger looks at them. Or if you eat a piece of food, like you said, and you suddenly feel, oh, my God, I'm, uh, uh, it's food poisoning. Like I said, it's unique to each person, mm. my individual trigger to that level of panic might be. And if you find yourself panicking a lot over everything, you should probably uh, uh, see a therapist. And I, I, most of the treatment modalities include antidepressants. Um, not everyone do that, but, but that usually current with psychotherapy is a, a course of antidepressants. Yeah, my my family members that take them, not me. I I have to come up with a better idea. Usually, well, I, know, I calm down with, with but I calm down with coffee <laughs> or something like that. Or I tell myself. But as I can tell, but but actually, there are a lot of modalities that a person can do themselves. For example, even if you mm-hmm. if you have having a panic attack or levels of anxiety are becoming unmanageable, the best thing to do is deep breathing. If you could for five minutes mm-hmm. just really inhale deeply and then exhale deeply, the, the more you oxygenate your brain and the more you get the blood flowing, the more reduced your panic or anxiety symptoms will mm. be. Like that, light that, exercise, that is... 
you hop on the, uh-huh. on the uh, mill, or if you do yoga, anything where you're moving your body, which is pushing the air in and out. One uh-huh. of the physiological aspects of anxiety and panic is constricted breathing. Oh, when, 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 you're, when you're having a panic attack is your breath feels real shallow, like you can't get a good deep breath. Well, if you do yoga or if you, you know, hop on the, the, the treadmill, you can't help but be, you know, sucking oxygen into your system by the exertion. And so it does help alleviate the panic to do. That's interesting. Is, yeah. The other things you can do is uh, eliminate alcohol and caffeine. If you're having a lot of panic or anxiety, uh-huh. Uh, anxiety, uh, caffeine's not your friend. Uh, the other thing you need to do is get enough sleep. I, I, I've learned over the years, I've been a therapist for 30 years, and people who have disturbed sleep, you know, where they can sleep like two hours and uh-huh. have to wake they're much more prone to anxiety or panic symptoms because their resources are reduced. So, you know, it's in other words, healthy living, exercise, uh, low on alcohol and caffeine, enough sleep. I mean, sound like a public service announcement, but the reality is that does reduce anxiety and certainly helps ward off panic. Well, I'm going to have to give that advice to the girl that does my nails and a whole bunch <laughs> of other people. But you you talk Not about that in the... Yeah. That's what I would... <laughs> well, definitely. You know something? I wonder sometimes. Usually what happens is it's, you know, a family member that can call me and say, can I borrow some money? Well, I'm not going to give it back to you, but I figured you'd lend it and go, like, not going to happen. Um, or I get upset, or you get upset because somebody calls you only when they need something. But yeah. if you call them and just say, hi, how are you? I'm too busy. Well, what can I say? So we we, we meet um, Daniel, and he's had this, his, Jason is having a panic attack. So how does, you know, the, in the story, how does he deal with him? How does he deal well, with that? He, because after all, he's going to, you know, this, there's a murder and everything. That's the cool part about the book. There's a murder. That That's the thing. We're we're switching back and forth between talking about my novel yeah, and talking. Uh, I'm gonna make, unless you just want to do the symptoms, then we could do Panic Attack, the book, another day, because I actually had a cancellation. Because the no, I'd like to has a, today because uh, uh, yeah. they, they dovetail so well. Um, yeah, but in yeah. the book, Daniel Rinaldi has a patient uh, who who is suffering yeah. from panic attacks. And as I said earlier, if a reader kind of does what Daniel Rinaldi this, this does with this patient, it will help alleviate panic symptoms because what he does is he models deep breathing. He sits next to the guy modeling deep breathing until the guy slowly starts to calm down. He has him close his eyes. Because one of the things that's important when you're trying to help someone with panic symptoms is to resume a, a sense of control. One of the things mm-hmm. that panic does is it makes you feel like you're the victim of your emotional life, that you're being mm-hmm. overwhelmed and out of and there's nothing you can do about it. When my hero, Daniel Rinaldi, you know, sits next mm-hmm. to this kid and, and, and mirrors deep breathing and the kid's breathing in tandem with him, the kid starts to see, oh, my panic symptoms are going down. My pulse rate is going down. My breathing is getting deeper. Oh, I have some control over this. It's similar to people, you know, in the olden days, 
people used to use biofeedback machines. You know, you would sit there, get all wired up, and by deep breathing, you would literally watch on the graph your anxiety spikes start to go down. One of the things biofeedback reminds us is that we have a little bit more control over our interstates than we think, that if through conscious effort we can reduce the level of anxiety. And, and that's what Daniel does with, with his patient Jason in the book. And the reason Jason is having panic realizes that, you know, he used to, he was the football mascot, remember, and the act, and, mm-hmm. and the someone else took his place in the mascot costume and got shot. So Jason, you know, logically assumes he was the intended victim. And that sense of impending doom is panic symptoms. Exactly right. Well, his I girlfriend, mean, the way- too. Lucas. Lucas's girlfriend too had the same thing. Absolutely, she because she that that prodded her boyfriend take Jason's yeah. place mascot uniform. So you know how much guilt she must be feeling um, that she asked him to do that, and he ended up getting killed in place of Jason. And that sets off the mystery in the book, which which is is the part I find interesting and really was. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, I was in a car accident when I was 17, and I, went, I was doing something for my mom with her friends. So my mother said, go with, with, with this lady, Dolly. We're going to go get some appetizing and take your cousin. She said, well, why don't you ask Lillian to come? And I said, nah, you know what? I'll get it for her. So I went up, and I said to Lillian, would you like to join us? And she died in that car accident. She wow. sat in the front. She sat in the front. I went through the windshield. I had amnesia for a while, and I said to my mother, maybe that's better not to remember who all of you are sometimes. But, yeah, I had all sorts of injuries. My cousin lost all her teeth. The kid next to me the, uh, had a problem. The lady in the front was operated on, and we still don't, I still couldn't tell you whose fault it was. just looked like the other girl let go of the car and just went right into us. And when Lillian died, I felt guilty. I said, you know, if I said to my mother, if I hadn't asked her to come, it might have been me because I might have been sitting in the front seat. Yeah, you we'll just, see that. You just don't know. It's really weird. So never know. We don't know. know the, and also, let's face it. Every if the pandemic taught us anything, oh, uh, everything yeah. on a thread. Everything hangs on a thread. One of the things I try to talk about in my Rinaldi novels, all of them, including mm-hmm. Panic, is the fragility of life, and that mm-hmm. moment to moment, you better enjoy it and be in the present. Because you could be hit by a truck 10 minutes later, you know. Uh, so we don't know. That's right. We don't know. I try know. not to think about that. I try not to think about it because every, so many people have been lost and this pandemic isn't going anywhere. That's what gets me more angry. It's just that they don't seem to know what to do with it. And they well, just that, seem to, you know, all, that's a problem. Well, that, they don't, and every news article is like, oh, there's more deaths, there's more this. When are you going to say something positive? They don't. Well, because they don't know. I mean, I the reality is learning as it goes along. I mean, that's yeah. how quickly they had to develop the vaccine. And then now we're finding out how long it lasts or when it gets diluted or that you might need a booster. These are things that clinical trials used to show and we'd find out. We haven't had time for clinical trials. So we're, we're actually learning out in the how how the yeah, vaccine is working. What bothers me is that I get these emails, these little, you know, email things or, or bulletins and stuff. 
oh, somebody took this vaccine and died yesterday. You're trying to tell people to get vaccinated, and you're telling people that people are dying from the vaccine? Who's going to want to do that? That's what gets her. I think that the media and CDC and FDA are panicking people more than the the pandemic is panicking everybody, too. It's scary. Well, it is scary, but realistically, since the beginning of the development of vaccines, they're 99% effective. But we don't know about the pre-existing conditions of people who have perished, been vaccinated. The vast, vast majority of people who've been vaccinated have been helped and it has prevented COVID. I mean, everyone should get vaccinated. The anti-vaxxers infuriate. They just infuriate me. And every time they point to, well, this guy had the vaccine and died. Yeah, well, died from the polio vaccine. There is no 100% cure for anything because there's no 100% effective anything for anything in the world. The world's a risk. You, you, you have much more chance of being in a car accident than having the vaccine do anything to you. You know, it's crazy. Uh, and, and because of the anti-vaxxers, the variants keep uh, evolving. Well, tell me about it because I got really sick both times from the vaccine. I wound up really sick the first time and in the ER the second time. It's like, oh, my God. And I'm going to answer, but I have family members that refuse to take it. And well, I try to explain to them, I, t- I said that. My nephew owns his own gym, so he had to get a vaccine. I don't know if my his my nephew, the little one, got it to go to school, but I know that the, his wife is totally making up everybody that they're going to die of the poison and whatever. Her mother won't get it. My niece won't get it. And I said to her, you are in the music business. You have a brand-new song that's out on the radio. You invited to the MTV Awards in New York City, and you couldn't go because you were, vac- were not vaccinated. They told us straight out, you can't come. Well, I said, you're going to miss out on an awful lot. Yeah, well, they were right. I told her. I said, you're being ridiculous. And you I go everywhere. She came. Yeah, I know. But that's me. She came uh, up. I believe in science, um, and I don't, I don't care what someone's uninformed opinion is. I just don't yeah, care. Yeah, that's what I said, yeah. They that's got what it I told off. her, too got off social media or the internet or some lunatic right-wing uh, site, I'm not interested in that. I mean, and I, you know, it's funny, you still debate. I won't debate anti-vaxxers. I just go, okay, your choice. Try not to breathe on me. That's about it. Yeah, well, I did tell her, you can't come here. She said, why should I want to see you? I said, because I have an aversion to being sick. Yeah. And you go to too many places, and I can't take a chance that I'm going to get sick. And I don't have any real underlying whatever, but I don't want to find out if I do. So we could talk about this next question in both the book and in real life. Sure. The public reacts in real life to a murder at a press conference, and we have Polk. How does the, how does the media feel that in real life also? So in the book, you have the media, public real life, the press conference, and everybody is upset, and we have a whole bunch of people that are killed. And then they finally get who they think killed him, but is he really the person that did it? So how yeah. does the well, media fuel this yeah. in both well, places? In, in the book, as you point out, one of the things I think makes the book kind of unique is mm. we, we think we've solved it about two-thirds of the way through. We get the sniper, and the reality is that's when the mystery really begins, which I think is kind yeah. of cool. Um, in real life, 
just like in the book, uh, I think the media fuels the panic um, yeah. uh, uh, because, you know, in the news business, as you know, Fran, if it leads, it leads. And so the more uh, uh, violent, scary a news story is, the more the media likes to pump it up because they know people will watch. It's like how people slow down to watch a traffic accident, you know. Oh, are there going to be bodies yeah. on this? Oh, look, there's an ambulance, you know. Well, that's what the news media does. And we need to be informed. But on the other hand, I think they soak it a lot. And I think one of the things while we're talking about panic attacks that cause panic attacks is news stories mm-hmm. keep mm-hmm. recycling how bad everything is out there. You know, if you watch the news, you think people are getting killed every second. And as a result, it really does inflame the anxiety to a panic attack. You know, I have patients oh, I... who, you know, literally are literally afraid of life. Watch oh, God. News... If you watch the news 24-7, if you binge watch CNN, you would think the world's falling apart. And so it's... Yeah, I know. Panic. So I agree you know, with you. you. I this, media yeah, it's scary, but you could also get it when you watch the Weather Channel, too, when there's a hurricane. <laughs> or the, every, I, I, you have to see how happy they are when there's a storm. They oh, smile, yeah, no, they're they like love thrilled. It. Nothing makes a, a Weather Channel broadcaster happier than a, a, a episode five hurricane or something like that. Uh, category yeah. five hurricane. You know, that's their meat and potatoes. They love that. <laughs> and that does well, happen. Well, I didn't realize that Ida was going to destroy my car and everything else. It destroyed an awful lot up here. And then I just said, you know what? It could be worse. It's, it's a car. Thank God we got a new one. But we didn't expect one. And then I lost a whole bunch of clothes and some of the stuff that my sister had given me. But I can't, that I can't replace, and I just said it still could have been worse. I mean, everybody in this building lost a lot of stuff. At yeah. least nobody well, lost their know, lives, so that was something. Kind of surprising up where you are to have big weather events yeah. like. That. I mean, that's a real no, anomaly. It was, well, it was in the parking lot, and what we found out was that it came from the golf course and the diner that's ten blocks away. And wow. somehow the water flowed underneath the street. Yeah, and then we had a meeting last week. Um, they came from FEMA and a whole bunch of different places, and they're talking about a plan. By the time they get the plan, I hope there's no more hurricanes. Who knows? Yeah. They were supposed yeah. to do something in the building, and they, and they didn't before we moved here. So the other thing is that Daniel becomes a target of yes. this killer. And I got nervous. Now, like I said the other day, um, nobody's allowed to kill off the main character because I would have a fit. And like I said, Philip Morgan just killed off a main character in his new book coming out in March. And I st- wait till I ask him, why did you do that? Oh, my God. So we Well, yeah, you've got to really be killed off a recurring character in Head Wounds, and I didn't hear the end of it. So, yeah. uh, well, I always put Daniel Rinaldi's life in danger, but don't worry, I'm never going to kill off uh, my lead character. For one thing, he's the first person narrator, so if he's narrating yeah. it, he's brave. Uh, but the reality is, I like to put Daniel Rinaldi in as much danger as possible so that the reader is anxious. But mm-hmm. heavy readers know, well, he's telling the story, so he obviously lived to tell it. 
I, I think he's great, though. But I learn a lot about dealing with panic attacks and psychological problems just reading your books. I go like, wait a minute, I don't need to call anybody. I just could read Chapter 5 over again, and uh, can I tell you? Well, now, you know, I hear that yeah. from readers all the time because the yeah. book is by me, <laughs> and and uh, I have 30 years clinical experience uh, as a therapist. There's a lot of a lot of all the uh, uh, psychological material in the book is accurate. All the clinical treatment stuff is accurate. People always say they learn something. You know, my well, initial, I do. But I also think if you can entertain and make it real, then mm-hmm. it has much impact. I mean, people really believe that my hero Daniel Rinaldi is a psychologist. I mean, it, it, you know what I mean? It's like sometimes you'll read yeah, a book. They- psychiatrist or a psychologist and I'll, I'll read it as a clinician and go that's not how a psychologist talks that's not what a psychologist does but in my books except for his daring do except for his getting involved in some police what he does is what a therapist so the reader really gets inside the head of a therapist which they don't normally have the opportunity to do I'm just wondering how many people Google Daniel Anali and see if he's a real psychologist. I won't well, be surprised. I know. I wouldn't surprise me at all. Well, In here's fact, the other I joke thing. around whenever people go, what's your next book about? I'll usually say, well, I left a couple messages on Daniel Rinaldi's phone machine, but he hasn't yeah. gotten back. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you said. The, I think they actually believe that, too. So oh, this no, is absolutely. The other thing. I, think, I think Pittsburgh's most famous fictional psychologist. Um, and, and a couple people do act like he's real, and it's like, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a lot of fun. I, I, I love the character. I love writing the character and being inside his head. One of these days I'm going to write something about an educator being inside my own head when I was first started teaching, but, now, nah, too many books about stuff like that. So Yeah, but your, the other experience, thing that, your experience is unique. I, I that to writing students um, all the time. Your experiences yeah, my, my, are unique, and you are enough oh, you better to write it. Yeah, right now. Better, Everybody, to me, has a kind of operatic life. They just don't know it. I mean, if you were like to talk to the bag boy at uh, a supermarket, mm-hmm. you would find out, oh, his mother turned out to be his aunt, and his father ran yeah. away with all their money. And, you know, I mean, all these soap opera kinds of stories is just bagging groceries that we never really learn about. So I, I believe everybody has a soap opera story. Everybody has really unique things that happen to them. I know that because I've been a therapist for 30 years. I've seen literally thousands of patients, and everybody's story is astounding to me. But when you see them walking down the street, they just look like a regular person. You would never know yeah, okay. the back of these people. I know, it's scary. I started teaching when I was 18, and I taught sixth grade, and I'm like, am I going to live through this? And I walked into the gym, and this, the kid said to me, oh, my gosh, she's so short. I said, don't be so surprised. Short people are strong people. It took me a while. It took me about a month before I was brave enough to really lay into them and realize, I'm in charge. You're in sixth grade. You want to graduate? You want to look at me next year again? And I really, <laughs> oh, Yeah. I was like, I think I'll take off for a week because I don't want to deal with They put every discipline problem they possibly can find in this class because 
the uh, principal decided that he didn't really want me there because the, my, the assistant principal was my third grade teacher. I got hired walking down the street. I didn't even have to go for an interview. And I said wow. that I wanted to teach, yeah, towards the toughest sixth grade in the school, and I'm five feet tall and I weigh nothing. By the time the first month came, they said, don't mess with her. Don't even think to mess with this girl. She will absolutely, and they were nine feet tall, these kids, and they were really bad. I go, like, you want to find out what happens? I said, I might not have a cell phone, but I have your mother's phone number on my hand, and I'll just go right next door and call. They, they didn't, that was it. It was, was the it. most amazing experience. I said, you know, I did it all by myself. I sat and talked to my, my mother and my whatever, and she said, you can quit. I go, oh, no, uh-uh, I'm going to win this one. So there's a part where you have a young girl named Indra um, who feels that she doesn't want to live with her mother. And I know about the pins protection. And I know that they can get emancipated, but why at 14 could she get emancipated? And didn't she have to report to somebody? That, that no. was surprising. Yeah, you can be emancipated at 14. Now, most judges, I mean, you've got to really make a case to get emancipated yeah, at this age. Um, and she also, because of the circumstances in the book that I'm not going to give away, has yeah. the financial resources uh, to hire people to help her and take care of her. You know, um, but that that's um, – I don't want to get too in the weeds in that because I don't no, want to give away points. But the reality is, yeah, the, she's uh, the daughter, Rebecca, that is the daughter of uh, Indra, who is uh, uh, an assistant dean in the college where this whole thing starts. I never I know, wrote that was real. You never because wrote a character editor, like that? Yeah, my, my editor, reading the book the first time, really thought Indra was the bad guy. And uh, I give you a, not, a, a lot of hints to indicate that that may or may not be true, and in some senses she is, and in some senses she isn't, if you remember from mm. the book. So she's not yeah. a lily-white person by any extent. So, no, uh, she's, she's not. A, yeah, she's a fascinating character, and I really, I really enjoyed writing her. Uh, particularly because she turns out to be a little bit of a femme fatale, not not in the classic sense, but a little bit uh, 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 with Daniel Rinaldi, and I kind of I kind of like that because he's a little confused himself about what he feels about her, you know. So I, I like their dynamic in the book very very much. I, I I've been hearing from people that one of the aspects of the book they really like mouse between. Uh, Daniel Rinaldi. Are uh, you going to bring her back to see I what might. happens? If she... Because oh, gosh. she's so interesting. And uh, we can't, I, I leave it a little open as to what's going to happen. Yeah, no, yeah. And and uh, I think it's because of part of my psyche. You know, a lot of the time when you're writing, Fran, and you know this, you're a writer, your unconscious is doing a lot of the work that you're not aware of. And I mm -hmm. think I dot the I, uh, I and cross the T on Indra, because my unconscious was going, no, I think there's more to mine out of this character. So it's a little open-ended, because I think my, my unconscious said, I don't know if we're done with her yet. Uh, by the time I'm at that stage in the doing all the writing, I'm just taking dictation, if you know what I mean. Uh, it's sort of like in flow, and, and I just go, okay, this is what the characters want to do with and I followed mm. her. I, I liked her to a point. Did I trust her? Reader, 
I'm not, my editor I'm not going to say. You kind of yeah. like her. You kind of feel sorry for her. You don't trust her. And I think that's what I wanted the reader to feel, that you kind of like yeah, her. Yeah, I didn't trust her. Trust her. And so... No. That that's an but I don't want Daniel to get involved with her to the point that he gets upset. Because he has I his know. own emotional baggage, right? He has his yeah, own well, emotional has, baggage, right? Tons of emotional baggage and not the greatest taste in women. Oh, <laughs> I know. Over the, the six books, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster. I think because he's a widower, feels so guilty. Yeah. He has survivor guilt because his wife was killed during a mugging, and he was shot, but he survived. And so, as a result, he has a certain amount of survivor guilt, and that's mm. his mission to help his patients. And unfortunately urges him to get kind of involved in police investigations where he has no business getting involved. That's why he has such an uneasy relationship with the Pittsburgh police. Even though he has a contract yeah, with Salton, they don't like him that much. And any chance they could get to boot him, as you saw in Panic Attack, at one point yeah, they can't. I know. And it's like any chance they have to get rid of him, they want to get rid of him. But then if he helps them at the end, because of public relations, they got to reinstate him. It's, I love that dance between him and, and the uh, brass at the Pittsburgh police. It's one of my things to write is his reaction to them and his, their reaction to him. Really, and, you know, I know I just read one book, and I, I don't like reading books that have the that have the, the COVID whatever in it. In it, I can't deal with that after a while. Because it's like, I know what's going to happen. So many people are going to die, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't really care. But people people are getting panicked, you know, like I said, like we said before, for no reason. So if you are going to go to a psychotherapist or a doctor and you're not sure what kind of questions, if what kind, if Jason wanted to continue his whatever, what kind of questions should he ask Daniel about how to survive? Then the ending was like, oh, my God, um, yeah. And well, mostly and, and it would realize, be in that Daniel Rinaldi yeah. asking about his childhood, his experience with anxiety as a child. Uh, how was he? Did he feel protected? Did he feel securely attached to his family? You know, the thing that's important to remember is all of us come out of our families with kind of a mythology mm. about how the world works. So if you come out of a family where everybody acted as though the world was very dangerous, the moment you stepped out your front door, things could happen to you. Well, when you grow up, you're going to see the world as potentially dangerous, which is mean you're mm-hmm. always hypervigilant. And the more vigilant you are, the more you see boogeymen around every corner. You know what I mean? I mean, there are people who won't drive the freeway because they figure, well, I could die in a car crash. Yeah, but it's not that likely. But the reality is there are people who won't go out at night because that's when the muggers come out, because their mother or their father said, after 7 o'clock yeah. at night, in this house. You see, you, you have to look at what's their family dynamics, and more importantly, God, did they get a view that the world was dangerous? Did they get a view that the world was exciting yeah. and open and that you should take risks and you should go out and explore life? And most people who have panic attacks give a lot of negative meaning to just being in the world. It's essentially dangerous. Like we were talking earlier, when the media gives you the message 24-7, 
world is dangerous. Society. You see what I mean? Yeah, well, I just got an email, one of those news bulletins that said, get ready for another pandemic, and I just deleted it because I don't want to know what you're thinking because I, I could kill us. I, I really think that they're doing it on purpose, and it gets me annoyed because everybody is nervous enough as it is. I don't, you don't need to get any more nervous. So, Well, yeah, that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about yeah. whether it's reading some stupid website, you know, because there's more misinformation on the web yeah. than yeah. actual information. And so it tends to feed everybody's paranoia, which increases everyone's sense of hypervigilance. And the more vigilant you are about how dangerous everything is, the more you're going to get triggered. When you're triggered, you're going to have a panic attack. Okay, before I forget, Monday at 12 o'clock special time, Robert Dugoni, the world play chess. I just they just confirmed, so I wanted to make sure it was really going to happen. (laughs) He's excited. the 14th, the author of The Memory Bell. On the 18th, someone we all know and love, Lee Matthew Goldberg, The Grenade Bouquets. On the 19th, Vincent Zandri and his friend Frank, we're going to talk about. I have no idea whatever he wants to talk about. And on the 20th, someone I have never interviewed ever, New York Times author Marsha Muller, Ice Cold. On the 24th, Dr. Maxine Thompson will talk about her real life. She's a black author, black activist that lived in a white family for quite some time, for a year when she was younger. And she's going to talk about lineage. On the 26th, hopefully the author of Redemption won't have an, um, a panic attack again, seriously, and she'll be able to get through a technical. The 28th is up for grabs. We're not sure if it's going to happen because I didn't get the book yet. And that's just what's happening this month. You have a nice lineup. Really good writer. Yeah, I do. And then I have a a couple of, um, the second, I have, November 2nd, there's going to be five people. We're going to talk about how you review a book and rate it, what they consider a five-star so that I can learn from other people, too. And then on the the 18th, Alan Jacobson and a few, uh, T.J. O'Connor, and a few, we're going to talk about the dark side of the character, the evilness. Mm-hmm. Like the vampire kind of side of the character. I have no idea why I came up with it, but it sounds good to me. But <laughs> be, be, I have a few more questions now. What is the outlook? I mean, you want to ask a question. You want to know. The, uh, and I know my mom used to say to me, "You everything you do has to be perfect. And, yeah. And there's a friend that I have that does that. And she does that to her daughter every single day. She said, you have to have 100 on the test. And I said to her, that's why your daughter has panic attacks, because of you course. are making her, you're putting her stress, the stress on her. She said, well, I'm going to take her to a psychiatrist for medicine. I said, she's 11. Are you crazy? I don't even think it. Yeah, um, I, I, I think, you know, it's like I have a patient whose mother made her weigh herself every day. To this day, is obsessed with her weight. I mean, you have to, you have to really watch the message you're giving your children, because as yeah. I said, it creates the kids. A mythology the world works I mean one of the things that therapy does is the patient learns that the world is not modeled after your family that just because your family said you couldn't weigh more than 105 that doesn't mean mm-hmm. no one you unless you're 105 you know what I mean I mean you have to really challenge yeah I do know I you do know, know because I weigh 
I, I did I did weigh like over 200. And my sister, before she died, said, and she wasn't being mean, she was being honest, you're eating yourself into oblivion because you're aggravated because you had to retire because mom is sick because she has Alzheimer's, and you have nothing better to do so you look like a couch potato. Hmm. And I said to her, but at least I'm a smart one. What can I tell you? So <laughs> I did. I took and I, I went and I lost a lot of weight. It took me forever to get down to 110 pounds, 109 pounds, which is what I'm supposed to be. And I said to her, you're really mean. And she said, that's because she went around telling people this at a flea market and stores when we were together and at um, tag sales. She's adopted. That's why she looks the way she does, because she's really not my real sister. And people believed her. And I said to her, the point is, it doesn't matter that I'm not your real sister. It matters that I'm much smarter and wiser than you'll ever be. I said, and that's just it. And I was, you know, I, I, I talked to my guy, are you kidding me? And to this day, you know, my husband said, well, maybe she's right, because, you know, you, you don't look like everybody else. I go, well, what could I tell you? It doesn't really matter. I'm who I am. As a matter of fact, the shirt I'm wearing today, I just had it made. It says, this is me. Ah, and whoever doesn't good... like it. This is me. It's different, yeah. <laughs> so what would you say? I mean, what are you going to do? What are you writing next for Daniel Rinaldi? I don't want to forget to ask the, you know, the normal questions. What are you going to write well, next I... for him? I don't know. I've left a couple messages for Daniel Rinaldi, and he hasn't returned my call. So I don't he exactly mine. know what I'm doing next. I'm, right now I'm mostly just talking about the current novel, uh, Panic Attack. And, and you know, I, as I mentioned before, I'm very gratified uh, by the reviews. People seem to love this book. and I'm I just, love this book. It turned out to be a more relevant book than I thought it was going to be. Uh, so and there's a lot of twists and really suspenseful book, and I tried to take the reader on a real roller coaster ride in terms of the sniper and then what's really going on. You know, we think one thing's going on, as you know, we think one thing's going on for two thirds of the book, and then we learn, oh no, it's something else. And I like that turn a lot, and it was a surprise to me while I was writing it, uh, as as we've talked about in the past, Fran. I don't outline. I, I'm a pantser. I write by the seat of my pants. So I'm surprised by stuff in my book, and I figure if I'm surprised, the reader will be surprised too. Well, I was surprised. I'm not going to give it away. I was surprised oh, at, the, at the truth uh, about something at the away. end. But let's, let's, uh, like, let's get into that. We can go back. To, yeah. I can't believe that. I was like, oh, my God. Okay. So okay. people are reading your book. Is they didn't, and, they didn't, and they, yeah, it's, and it's a, it's a good book. I don't normally say that, but I think it's one of I the best. I think it's books. one of the best. Yeah, a lot of people think it's the best out of the, the six so far. Uh, 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 so I, I'm very pleased. Uh, and I really appreciate your support for my books over the years, Fran. You're, you're a great friend to writers. You really, really are. Uh, you're very supportive, I, uh, and you understand the process. So it's... It's kind of a pleasure talking to you about it. I appreciate that. You know, as I said, um, August 25th, I had a discussion with my college professor who taught me how to do exactly that. And Dr. Cavuto is coming, emailed me this morning. Uh, we're coming, I'm coming on January 10th, and we're going to talk about, because uh, my, my field is reading, and right. diagnostics and stuff. He's the foremost authority on everything. We're going to talk about um, how you assess children in reading through problem solving and what is the right way and how are they misdiagnosed. 
and how do you how do you correct it? And he's sending me. He just sent me his dissertation, which I just sent to FedEx to print out for me. And oh, they, they'll do it. That is great. Yeah, I, what I, a he, great he's man. really. Well, I haven't, you know, he was my professor for my second master's a thousand years ago. And I found him on LinkedIn thinking he's not going to know who I am. He says, you're the student I tortured for 16 weeks. Uh, I go, yes, you did. Yeah, he did. He said, you're the one that I got a perfect score on my first opinion paper. And then he said, I will pick the rest of them for the rest of the term. You cannot pick anything. I wanted to cry. Because he picked the ones that were, how, how would you like to write a pad, a opinion paper on a, on an index card? So I said to him, okay, Dr. Pagudo, I will do it, but I'm going to use three index cards, big ones, and don't even think to penalize me. And then, and every week we would, and every week I would have sort of a panic attack because he would say, uh, "France here, she's the first person I'm going to call on. What did I learn? What did you learn from last week? And how, how much did you memorize?" So I'd go like, "Oh my God, why me?" Yeah, and he's coming on uh, January 10th to talk about this. I, I'm so honored. You have no idea, but yeah. Doing something like this makes me feel good because people, with this pandemic and everything, there were very few book signings, there are very few outlets, and it, it, this just takes my mind off of everything that I love. It. The only thing I will say is that I won't write a negative review. And like I said, last week I did read a book and I disagreed with the premise of the book. I did not write a negative review, I just wrote my point of view. Mm-hmm. As to well, that- this is what the author's yeah, she doesn't Here's the she point of view. Here's, we disagree, and, but you can still be respectful and, yeah. and when you're doing it because writing a book is hard. <laughs> as you That's know. why. And, uh, well, her you know, topic it, is how could you walk around doing nothing all day? Well, and she had some well, valid points. And the, the book is called Dare to Do Nothing. It's very well written. It had a lot of humor and stuff. But I said, for an adult to read it, okay, fine. But for a teenager or a child to read it, it sends a bad message on you can go out drinking with your friends or you can just, you know, goof off at work or whatever. So I, it's at the end, I did say, every, I agree with you, you know, you can say that, you know, you uh, overrating or working hard or overachievers, you know, get nowhere. I said, I'm glad I am one of them because I definitely did achieve something and I'm proud of being an educator for 36 years. So they said the review was good. They didn't complain. So... Well. That's really good. I, I, I think that that's great. Uh, I like uh, good reviews. I, I, I always cringe at bad ones. Uh, I you know. know what you, if your job as an artist is to write the thing, if you're a writer, and send it out. And after that, it's karma. You have no control over what happens after that. And some people are going to like it, and some people are going to hate it. And, uh, you know, I... I'm very lucky, and I tend to get very good reviews. Um, you did. I, I, I've been very lucky since the first book to get very, very positive reviews. But uh, I know what it's like to get not positive reviews. And every once in a while, someone on Amazon will just say something really terrible. I remember one oh, yeah. that I remember where a guy said, they should take all of his books and dumpster and set it on fire. And mm-hmm. so... I, I emailed the, you know, you can email Amazon and say, look, I'd like to get an, a, an abusive review uh, like this. There's a, this is a re, an abusive review. I'd like to get it removed. And I got a very pleasant email back from Amazon saying, well, we read it. We didn't think it was that bad, so it's staying. So it's still there. 
I forget which book the guy was talking about, but there's one review in there where the guy says you should just burn them all. Um, and according to Amazon, that's not an abusive review. So uh, it's still there. I called them about something like that where this girl said, I, I don't understand the book, so I only read half of it, and it's a crap. So I said to the girl at Amazon, and she agreed with me, um, that's not a review. That's somebody's opinion. You need to separate them. Yeah. If they're going to write a review, they need to write what the book is about. If they're going to write their opinion, that that's fine. I didn't realize the other day I was going on Goodreads because I was posting your review and I was posting a few others on Goodreads. And I said, oh, well, let me see what I have. I had no idea that I had over 50 reviews on one book that I didn't think anybody read. Some people liked it. Some people didn't like it. Population Zero got a two-star review the other day because this guy said he really didn't understand it and it was a real crap, and I didn't say anything. I said, well, that's your opinion. I don't really care. Yeah, well, um, I never answer them, by the way. I, no I don't answer anybody. I never respond. I just go because my experience is you're never going to move someone off of something, number one. And number two, they're entitled to their opinion. Uh you know, so I, I just, as I've gotten to the age where I just figure it's karma. You know, hopefully people like what I write. If they don't, I can't do anything about it. Um, that's life. I just like doing the work. And and I, I love my characters, not only my lead, but, you know, my recurring characters. You know, uh, yeah. you know, Harry Polk and, and uh, well, you know, like uh, Noah Fry, the bartender. I mean, everybody loves Noah Fry. The schizophrenic yeah. bartender. You could do a, 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 a spinoff book just about him because I get and, and calls I get from readers. He's their favorite character next to Daniel is Noah, and because uh, he's also the one I get to be funny with. You know, I used to be a comedy writer, as you know, and so it's it's good to be able to give him some really witty remarks. Uh, and since he's uh, officially diagnosed as crazy, say anything he wants to. Think of him as a crazy Greek chorus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really. So that's before what we end, where can we find out everything about you? Well, and... the best to go to my website, uh, the cleverly named DennisPalumbo.com, where you can read about that <laughs> and all the other books in the series and my work as a therapist uh, to creative people. And you can read about my books. If you want to get Panic Attack, which I'm certainly hoping everyone within the sound of my voice wants to. Um, I hope so, too. I always think the best thing to do is to order it from your favorite independent bookstore. I like to keep independent books. Um, so I recommend that. Uh, secondly, you could try the publisher and press. If you have to, Amazon. But there's Amazon, there's Barnes and Noble, anywhere you get books, you can order Panic Attack. Um, and uh, I, I think too, if you like the character, go back and read some of the earlier books in the series. Well, I think they all should. But you know what happened? I got your book from your publisher. And then Amazon sent me, they were, they didn't send it, and they replaced it, so I got another one. And huh. I was busy, you know, I was reading it or doing something when the UPS guy came to the door, and Wiz looked at me, he says, I want that. I said, well, no problem, I'll give you this one. 
And I gave oh, him a whole did? bunch of books, yeah, that, which is the Reader. only reason why he brings my books to the door, because he loves me. And I, he bought something the other day, and I go, Wiz, let me know when you want more. I got a whole bunch. Um oh, A whole bunch of books. Yeah, well, uh, D.P. Lyle's book, The O.C., is fantastic. Um, the new author that wrote a book about Antarctica, The Dark, and of course there's yours. And I can't believe Robert Degoni is coming on on Monday on the World Play Chess. So yeah, he's a we have to do writer. this again. I would love to do one on different types of disorders that people have, especially um, during the, especially after the new year in January. People get gen, the you know this winter blues. Oh yeah. And they oh keep, yeah. He's an affected disorder. It, it's a depression caused yeah. by the seasons and the diminished amount of sunlight. I I like to, I'll have to contact you on that one. Yeah, I want to talk about that, and I want to talk about the fact that you can't. I, you know, I haven't seen my family in in a year and a half, and I mean, I talk to them, and my nephews text me all the time, or they'll call them and say, you know, what wacky things are you up to today? And that makes me feel good. Or somebody will call and go, I need a term paper. You need to help me write it. I'm really ah. good at that too. Yeah, my niece had COVID about two months oh ago, my. and she went. Yeah, it was horrible. For six weeks, so for six weeks we took sociology and I helped him. We aced it. But, you know, I felt so bad for her. She was really, really sick. And now her boyfriend was in a very bad car accident two weeks ago, so she's been helping him. And I've been texting her every day to make sure he's okay. I've never met him, but he's stuck with me if she goes out with him. What can I say? But thank yeah. you so much. And if you want to do one after the new year, let me know. I would okay, love to do I'd it on to. Winter Blues. For Great. having me on and, and having your listeners learn about my novel, uh, Panic Attack, and the actual psychological condition known as panic attacks, I hope there's been some good takeaways for your listeners. I hope so, too, because I'm going to send the link to a lot of people that need to listen. Okay, great. So thank All you right, very well, much, and thank uh, you, for, Dennis, and your patience are lucky. I wish I had somebody like you here. What can I tell uh, you? Thanks a lot. I and if you have it. if you have any any paperwork or any articles on that, send them to me so I can understand anxiety and stress disorder a little bit more. Okay, I will. Actually, I have an Thanks. article in the current issue of the Mystery Scene magazine where I talk about the symptoms and treatment of panic attack. I'll send you the article. Thank you so much, everybody. Right. It's beautiful outside. Have a positive day and do I'll something do my... kind for somebody. Have a great day and bye. Bye-bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.